Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. I'm Mo Rocca, and I'm excited to announce season four of my podcast, Mobituaries. I've got a whole new bunch of stories to share with you about the most fascinating people and things who are no longer with us. From famous figures who died on the very same day to the things I wish would die, like buffets, all that and much more. Listen to Mobituaries with Mo Rocca wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Start Me Up Podcast, part of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network in association with MSW Media. I'm your host, Kimberly Johnson in D.C. Today, my guest is Jillian Hurley. She's the producer of Americond, a film that explores inequality in America. It's an absolute must-see. We're going to talk about the movie, and we're also going to talk about the chaos of the current GOP. A lot going on, but before we get into it. The Start Me Up podcast is independent, listener-funded, and woman-run. Visit patreon.com slash startmeup to see the variety of tiers offered, including the option to get a bonus What's Up episode every Tuesday. It's kind of like my online journal where I get a little more personal and I talk about whatever's on my mind. There's also an ad-free tier with a much shorter intro. Just visit patreon.com slash startmeup. Now please enjoy my conversation with Jillian Hurley. Welcome to the show, Jillian. Thanks for having me, Kimberly. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you here. And we've been social media friends for quite some time. And we were talking (laughs) off mic about how you were on the Bob Seska show. But now you're here and I got you. So um, (laughs) I'm excited about that. And for those of you who don't know, um, Jillian is also very tall. (laughs) So I just like we're both six foot tall women. And so uh, we're both, I don't know, awesome that way. So I'm just going to start the show off with that. And okay. one question I want to ask you, because you have this in your, I don't Twitter. I'm just going to fucking call it Twitter. In your Twitter bio, you have former ABC and CBS. So what, what did you do there? I produced for, um, segments for ABC Los Angeles and NBC Los Angeles and then other shows like Oprah. Oh, now did you do the news? N- no, um, I actually did all the segments that were non-news. They didn't have, it's a long story, but I was a publicist at the time. And I kept trying to pitch stuff and I go, that would be a great story, but we don't have anybody that can do it. So one day I said, well, what if I did it? And they said, we'd have to pay you. I said, well, that would be too bad. (laughs) That's pretty cool. And that's how it started. Well, you want to hear something really funny. Um, Are you in California now? No, I'm in Illinois now. But oh, I that's was right. Okay. In LA, in the 80s, oh, in the early 90s. Did Do you remember he was a news anchor for ABC? He still is. Uh, Philip Palmer. I know the name. Well, he he's an anchor, and I don't know what he does now. I mean, he must be still anchoring. My dad used to work for ABC News. He's a cameraman for like World News Tonight and stuff like that. And so I worked at ABC News briefly in Los Angeles back in the very late 80s. And then in the, I think it was, yeah, it was 2000. I had this crush on Philip Palmer. And so I thought, you know what? Because he looked tall. I knew he was tall. And I thought, I bet I could go out on a date with that guy. So I sent him, it was snail mail, but I sent him, because I was an actor at the time, an 8 by 10 of me, but it was a postcard. And I, and I wrote something like, if I were to see you in a bar slash coffee house, I would accidentally, on purpose, bump into you. And then <laughs> I, I gave him my creds because, you know, I worked at ABC, so I dropped some names so he wouldn't think I was some rando. And then I ended mm-hmm. with, please disregard if you're married or gay. And then he, he, I, I gave him my email and he did respond and he, he said something about how it was funny. And I got, I got it like two dates out of it. So there you go. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I know, like we're always. You know, there was a time in our life that we were on the hunt for a man at least slightly taller than us. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's so true. Both of us are six feet, so it's like, yeah, it's yeah. not always easy to find someone a little bit taller than you because you want to wear your heels and 
I know it's bullshit patriarchy stuff that tells us we have to be shorter than the men yeah. we're with, but you know, whatever. We're. I mean, I think that's all changed, but it certainly yeah. was the message back then. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's absolutely true. My daughter is <laughs> five nine, and she would date somebody much shorter if they, he was the right guy. And I was right. like, oh, that seems so freeing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did go out with a guy who was five eight for a while, and you know, I didn't care. It's like I think what happens is when you date someone who you think you normally wouldn't then you just realize it's absolutely not a big deal, especially if they're cool about it. You know, if somebody has insecurity, then that's different. But if they're cool about it and you're cool about it, it just becomes something that you don't even notice anymore. And so, you know, it was just a message back then. Exactly. A hundred percent taller than you. And it's men would feel men would feel intimidated. And and, of course it turns out we underestimated men. Yes, we did. All right, so let's talk about your movie, Americond. It's a sobering look at inequality in America. And wow, what, I mean, it's so, it's a lot to take in. And Mm -hmm. when you watch it, it's, it, it, it brings up so many emotions. I mean, it's like, I was angry. I was feeling sad. I was, I don't want to say that I was hopeless because I'm not hopeless. I'm, I usually am optimistic, but absolute, like, just all the gamut of emotions watching it. So I just, I, I want to know first, what do you hope people take away from this? Why did you make this film? Well, um, it was originally the idea of Dave Patterson and Sean Claffey. And Sean Claffey is the director. And um, Dave was the, uh, one of the producers for Super Size Me. And they mm. just felt like we needed to take a look at what's happened to the middle class. And that means explaining to people how they got here. Right. And how we got here is very sad. You know, it's it's manufactured by corporations. You know, you I think you and I have talked before about single moms. Mm-hmm. And single moms went from being somebody that we felt like we should take care of as a society mm-hmm. to somebody that we demonize. Yes. And so we wanted to show how we got there by corporations changing messaging and pitting us against each other. And then, of course, uh, Citizens United steam yeah. into that, as you know. Yeah, and it's just, it's funny because a friend of mine just recently, I I won't get too specific because I don't want to out anybody, but a friend of mine visited kind of like, you know, the middle of the United States where uh, people don't, there's not a lot of anything. There's not a lot of industry or stores or or jobs or, or, you know, whatever. There's just a lot of (laughs) dirt and people live, you know, on 40 acres and she was telling me, I mean, the, the way that she described their lifestyle, number one, she said it was churches and gun stores everywhere. And mm-hmm. that the homes, a lot of, you know, the home that she visited was kind of dilapidated, it was falling apart. And she was a little bit concerned for her friend. And there was a part of the ceiling that looked like the tiles were coming off and it looked a little warp. And she said to her friend, is this safe? And she and her friend was like, oh, yeah, it's safe. We just stand over here. <laughs> and, um, you know, she, yeah. was, she was saying that what they do is once the house becomes unlivable, they just abandon it. And then they go live with some friends. And then uh, as soon as they can, you know, find another place to live, they'll go do that. But that's kind of the norm there. And, I, you know, I just I also wanted to know, you know, like w- when, when this film was being made and you guys were going around and talking to these people, um, what would you say, did you feel that they were, I mean, like I got certain feelings from these people, but like, were you feeling that they felt hopeless? Did you feel that they have hope? Because I mean, they're up against so much. They have so many obstacles in their way. No, they're not hopeless. Um, They're obviously fighting for something better. And I think you do see that several of them end up Mm -hmm. through unions in particular, finding something better. Yeah. But what they are is they are, and actually, this interview didn't make it in, but Stephen Pitts called it beat down syndrome. Some of them have Mm. beat down syndrome because Mm -hmm. when you do all the stuff you have to do when you are broke, and, you know, I don't call it poor, I call it broke because broke means you will have enough money to pay the rent, barely, but it might be late and you might have to juggle your bills. But there's so much juggling, for instance, people sometimes will abandon their used car because they absolutely cannot afford to have it towed to a garage. Wow. You know, and like, you know, you see some people in bad living conditions in the film that 
and they're paying a lot of rent. Do you what? And you wonder why do they continue to live there? Because getting first, last, and a security deposit is really hard to get together in the middle class right now. You yeah, know, right? Can't just move and pay the rent. You have to come up with all these deposits, and that's a lot of money right now with people having to appreciate income. But the in answer to your question, I didn't find that. But what I did find is a lot of self-loathing. I mean, not only has you know, the corporate think tanks, not only have they convinced the, uh, you know, many Americans that people that aren't succeeding are lazy, which is, you know, you see in the film far from true is they've convinced people themselves. If they can't succeed, that they're lazy or they're worthless or they can't make it. And one unique thing about casting the film, and I did a lot of the casting and Sean Claffey, the director, well, everybody pitched in, but Sean and I did families. And you go and you, so like in Florida, where you stay as in Florida, I talked to a lot of people in that building where the evictions were going on. And so many people thought all our neighbors were doing okay, mm-hmm. that they wow. were the only one that wasn't yeah. doing okay. Wow, that's interesting. I mean, it was, I, I, I hate to say that it was hard to watch because I don't want people to feel that it would be hard to watch. It's only hard, it's hard to watch in the sense that it's a hard, it's like the cold hard truth that we all have to face, you know? And it, as you said, how we got here is a really sad story, but it's, it's an important story. And, And the thing is, is as a whole, as a collective, when we can understand it, then we can start fixing it. And I think, you know, I mean, my girlfriend, it was so interesting listening to her account of of being over there. And, you know, she said it just filled me up with gratitude because it's, you know, I don't live like that. I, you know, she's not wealthy or anything, but, you know, she had clean clothes. And I mean, she was, she had clean clothes and she had white teeth. And so people were noting that she wasn't from around these parts you know what I mean and, and mm-hmm. so I do know yeah <laughs> exactly and so it's just it's like I don't think you know a lot of people who are, are living in the big cities whether you're a blue voter or red, red voter you're not necessarily aware of this version of America and your film really highlighted this version of America and it's something that I mean I guess my question to you Obviously, unions are something that can really help. But what what would you say? Like, what did you take away from this film? Like, was there one takeaway where you could say, if we just did this, it would really make a huge difference? Well, I mean, I think there are two things. If we gave the um, child care mm-hmm. um, tax credit back, because yeah. then it would put, take a lot of kids out of poverty overnight. But the other thing is to pay a fair wage. Right. And I'm actually from the Southwest, and I will tell you that one of the worst things that happened to the area I lived in is the mega churches came. Mm-hmm. And the mega churches weren't that interested in fair wage; they were interested in, in completely different things. And it's not so. Not only is the what you're describing, living in the houses. You know, my dad's a farmer who joined a union later on and changed our lives. But not only are these people living these lives, mm-hmm. even if they think there's something better, even if they think a candidate would be better for them, you're essentially your whole life is tied up in your church. As mm-hmm. I think your friend said to you, you mm-hmm. your kids go there two or three times a day. Maybe your kids, maybe your children even go to the school that has vouchers right. that was affiliated with it. Your whole life surrounds it. So it's, after is how this happened, Kimberly. <laughs> <laughs> because you know, all those people were union workers. Yeah. And and if, if they weren't union workers, they worked for a business that you know, for instance, we used to have country stores. They don't exist anymore, mm-hmm. but the country stores did well. Because mm-hmm. it's the guys drove in, you know, and it used to be the guys that they drove in from working at the GM plant or at the you know tire you know making tires or very physical very hard work Mm -hmm. they bought stuff at that store and they tipped their waitress as well Mm. right yeah didn't mind giving raises to teachers because Mm -hmm. everybody was doing okay Mm -hmm. wow and it's so sad it makes sense to you it makes a lot of sense uh 
it, it's it's just really sad to think that I, I mean I sound I sound like a Pollyanna I think when I say you know when you think in terms of the smugness and the greed of you know the corporate greed and all of that but but we've watched it play out I mean we've we've been watching it play out with the Walmart's coming in and and taking over towns and getting rid of small business and you know the as you said Citizens United um I'm wondering though okay now I'm gonna kind of steer away from your film even though your film is like a backdrop for our conversation okay um do you watching what's happening in <laughs> in Washington right now especially with Mike Johnson because of course we got to talk about Mike Johnson um who is the new speaker of the house by the way mm-hmm. uh I'm wondering if you think that now you made this point about all these people in their churches. And even if there's a candidate that comes along that could benefit them, they're stuck in this narrative of we have to go with who we're told to go with and, right. or, you know, who our family and friends are, are, are supporting and whatnot. So we're seeing that the, the GOP right now is not able at all to govern. They are chaotic. They are insurrectionists. They, I mean, it's just unbelievable. It's it's not that unbelievable that they've turned into this, but to see it all happen in front of your eyes, it's just crazy. And I'm kind of hopeful that just as Roe v. Wade, when Roe v. Wade was killed, I thought it would be an opportunity for Democrats. And so I'm wondering if you're seeing an opportunity in Mike Johnson's, um, you know, ascension to House Speaker in that it's going to be so crazy that it'll benefit us in 2024? Or do you think maybe a, a, a different, like, oh my God, this is just going to be so disastrous. How are you feeling about this? I think it's going to benefit us. And I think that because I'm starting to hear people that were, you know, from from my hometown and other communities and even people I, you know, talk to on the phone. I stay in touch with almost everybody from the film. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm starting to hear them really, I, I think, more than Thompson, I think it's Roe versus Wade. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think almost every woman, let's let's forget just elective abortions. Mm-hmm. I think almost every woman knows a woman mm-hmm. that was in a health issue with right. an abortion, yeah, or that was raped, yeah, and knows what the end would have been like for them if these laws mm-hmm. were happening. And I think that women have really woken up and. I think, man, I really mean across the country because, you know, a long time ago I did a lot of research and a lot of people who actually protest abortion centers actually get abortions. Oh, wow. It's true. They they interviewed a lot of people that fell into that category and they interviewed a lot of physicians who literally found themselves performing a procedure on a woman who was every day in front of their building. Wow. And they're situating them according to the physicians who couldn't talk about the women specifically, um, they, you know, they they would say, well, my situation is different. Mm-hmm. But I think even people who think their situation is different know right. that this is very dangerous. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> and it's scary. And so even if you don't think that a woman should just be able to do it for choice, you know somebody mm-hmm that would have lost their life or would have had to carry a baby from a traumatic rape or, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. everybody knows somebody, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so now I saw Allison Gill had posted that she's concerned that Mike Johnson would be speaker when it comes time for Biden to be, if he wins again in 2024, like she, that scares her. And I don't know enough about that to comment. I don't know if you do, but I think well, and maybe you do, but I, I'm a little concerned about what's going. I mean, I agree with you. I think it's going to help Democrats in the long run, but I also like I'm worried about what's going to happen with the, the government shutdown. You know, I mean, I don't know. I think in the long run, it would it would still help the benefit, or I, it would still benefit the Democrats because they would see who shut the government down, and right. and it wouldn't be that long ago, so they they will remember it. But the damage that can be done financially to us is something that really concerns me. And I'm just wondering, you know, what's your take on that? How do we deal well, with mean, that? The two things that, you know, corporations actually in charge of the Republicans, no matter what they say. Yeah. <laughs> so they usually do collapse on the um, issue. And also Mike Thompson has said that he will 
pass a package. But the other thing, because I'm a nerd, and obviously <laughs> you are too because you asked the question, I looked and I, <laughs> this Congress with this speaker will end uh-huh. before. Oh, okay, okay. Like five days before that's the vote right. to that's right. certify the election. Okay, well, that's good to know. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Um, <laughs> because, I oh mean, my God. It doesn't mean that they'll leave willingly, but it will end. Right, 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 right. I mean, and what do you think the chances are that Mike Thompson will still be there? I, well, I mean, it's it's hard to say because this Congress is just batshit crazy. So I have no idea. <laughs> it's just, and I mean, I I can't help but wonder what Mitch McConnell is thinking through all of this. You know, I mean, nobody likes the dude. Not even people on his own side. But it's like, you know, while he is a really bad, evil villain in his own right, he's not the MAGA crowd. He's a different kind of villain. And yeah. I know that he doesn't like what he's seeing, but it's like, I, I just can't imagine. <laughs> I can't imagine what is going well, through that crazy ass man's mind looking at this party. They know well, that it's they know that it's bullshit. You know, I mean, they all know it. They all know that Donald Trump right. is running it and, and a lot of people don't like him. And I mean, do you have any idea? I know you don't have a crystal ball, so I'm not asking you to predict. But I mean, do you have any kind of gauge on where this is all going to go? Like Trump's going to Trump's going to have all of these, um, you know, trials that he has to go through in 2024. We're going to have the election. I hope it looks like Joe Biden should win. But I mean, as far as Trumpism goes, do you have a gut feeling about that? Do you think it's going to die down over time? We're, we're, we're still in the thick of it. I mean, what do you feel about it? I think it's going to go down to about 27% of the country. And I think Trumpism will live without Trump. And can I tell you that I think that Boehner is on a yacht somewhere kicking back a cocktail? <laughs> <laughs> Not <laughs> crying. Glad I retired. Um, but, and then while I'm kicking the enemy, I will say that Mitch McConnell's book was called The Long Game. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's interesting that his last step in the long game is what made women really push forward and mm-hmm. register to, you know, get people to register to vote and yeah. wake up. Because, yeah. you know, the end of his long game is SCOTUS, the existing yes, SCOTUS. Is. And yes, so his, I find it, a, I don't like what's happening, but I find it a hilarious irony that he got everything he wanted. And this is, and the chaos we're watching as a result, you right. know. Yeah, I mean, and, and I I can't help but feel some of these people out there who are never Trumpers. I mean, I'm, I'm going to say Joe Walsh is one of them, and I don't know your relationship if you have one with him. I had a positive relationship, but um, there have been a few things that he has said over the course of these last few years that have enraged me again. You know, I mean, I was enraged by him mm-hmm. prior to his run for president. And then when he ran for president, I wanted to have him on my show because I was actually hoping that he would piss off Donald Trump and Donald Trump didn't even give a shit about him. But um, I was hoping that it would get some kind of a, you know, I don't know, reaction from Trump. And, and I did appreciate that Joe is a never Trumper, but what I see from him is the behavior that led to Trump is still there. And I said yeah. that to him on Twitter and I, I was friends with him and followed him and I couldn't take it anymore because it was that the, the thing that finally ended it for me was that um, tweet from the BLM chapter in Chicago that it, it was the awful tweet about basically looking like they were for Hamas. It was for Palestine, but they had the parachute guy um, right after that uh, attack. And so it looked as if BLM supported Hamas. And so he quote tweeted that and said, this is what the BLM organization is all about. And it made me so angry because I knew it was only a chapter and to just paint the entire organization that way without really doing any real research or looking around. It was, I know it was a knee jerk tweet. Um, it just, it was so upsetting to me to, to see that because it was like, what's the point? What's the point of being a never Trumper if all you're going to do is continue the bullshit and narrative that brought us Trump in the first place? Anyway, I'm blabbing too much, but all with that, (laughs) with that said, do you think, okay, like I'm going to go on the assumption in 2024 that, that Democrats are going to do a pretty good job. I don't know if we're going to get, you know, if we're, if we're going to get all chambers and we're going to get, you know, hopefully we'll have Biden and we'll get the Senate and the house and all that. 
providing we do that, how confident are you that the Democrats will be able to shore up all the loose ends that they were not able to do, like Voting Rights Act, and anything that they need to put in place to protect us for 2028? Are you, do you feel confident about that? Oh, my gosh. Um, I can't even hope for that yet. <laughs> I just don't. There's I am. Yeah, and, and question to your Joe Walsh thing, he doesn't like me very much. <laughs> Why? <laughs> yeah, I'm not blocked, but I've been quote tweeted a few times. But I didn't see that tweet, and it, it, I think you probably know from my bio that I did a lot of work for the ground-level support in Ferguson of okay. Black Lives Matters. And that is certainly not their priority. No, it isn't. You know, their their priority. Different chapters do different things. And, you know, the priority and the reason they brought me in, because they had so many from out of town, people from out of town in Ferguson that had different agendas, as you may remember. Right. Um, and these people had to continue to live in Ferguson. <laughs> what they want is they want trained policemen with rules and regulations yeah. <laughs> to wash the whole BLM with one comment is exactly. willful ignorance, I think. I agree. And it pisses me yeah. off because, I mean, he was on my podcast and, you know, we debated abortion and I won. He admitted that I won the debate, but he continued yeah. to say that, you know, there should be no abortion. And it's it, it, and that was not surprising, even though it was frustrating. But I just... I don't know. I was I lost my my mind when I saw him do that. I was so angry. Well, and I but I think what you stepped into, you know, of course we get aggravated at people on our team that put things out that look like we're mm -hmm. radical. Our own team. It's frustrating. Right. Yeah. But um, you know, this is a discussion I have with my best friend all the time because you know she loves all the Lincoln Project guys, and I do too. Mm -hmm. But I always remember they're not on our team. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're you know, opportunists. What they want is the old Republican Party. They don't want Democrats. Yeah, and they and want they want and I'm money. Okay with that. Yeah, they they want to be able to make hay, and they they were displaced with Trump, and you know I mean I like to I always say that especially with Rick Wilson because he's quote tweeted me and he's been an asshole to me when my boyfriend would tweet to him he would leave him alone. And this is back when we were all verified and he saw anything that I might have said or, or Bob would have said to him. Um, he left Bob alone. And if I said kind of the same thing, oh, he, he went after me. He quote tweeted me and he went after me. And then, of course, all the liberals pile on me. But the way I look at them is I think that they are right now a help to the Democrats. And so I'll take that. And, mm -hmm. you know, I will promote the messaging that I think is I won't give them any money or anything like that. But right, you know, I'll that's, that's my line in the sand. No money, no, no money, ID information. <laughs> right. But it's like, yeah, I'll promote messaging that I think is effective and I'll take advantage of all of their, you know, everything that they're doing and, you know, keep an eye and just say, all right, well, we'll see where this goes, because they are all opportun They are political opportunists, which, OK. Right. Maybe I am too. I've got a podcast about politics, but really? a different. <laughs> but I'm not I mean, the Lincoln Project. <laughs> so. well, I mean, I know that you're not an opportunist in that level, and I don't think Rick is either. I think Rick thinks it's the. I mean, I think this is a battle between the Democrats and oligarchy. Yeah, totally. I really do, and I am on their side on that issue. Yeah. And I also, I'm kind of a rare, um, I'm a progressive in the old fashioned way where you like, you know, the way that you, progressive used to mean that you want to make incremental steps and keep right. moving forward. Now it's yeah. being used in a different way. Yeah. But I have no problem with an old fashioned conservative. I can do business with an mm -hmm. old fashioned conservative. Yeah. And I, so I don't have any problem with old fashioned conservatives that are coming back. I do think it creates balance. I think. We get better school, you know, as long mm -hmm. as people aren't lobbying for vouchers, we get better schools that way. There's a lot of institutional things that it's good to have the mix. Yeah. And the, and, you know, and the tension and the tug. And so in that way, I respect them. But I also remember that they're the people that worshipped Reagan. Yes. They're the people that brought us Sarah Palin. And, uh -huh. you, I, you know. Yeah. 
fight me on it but Sarah Palin is responsible for Donald Trump she just she just absolutely absolutely yes she is and and, you know so the same guy you know you see these guys that actually some of them joined the Democratic Party which I appreciate the entire flip but I really think they need to apologize yeah I agree (laughs) a full-throated apology for bringing Sarah Palin forward letting her you know call Obama a terrorist yeah. over and over because that's so you know you see in our film the buildup behind the scenes mm-hmm. to how all this happened, but the in front of the in front of the scenes stuff happened with the churches and it happened with Palin and that's mm-hmm. when it got ugly yeah. and mean mm-hmm. and embarrassing. Oh, and those guys, those guys are on television now, like criticizing yeah. Trump. But I'm not sure they wouldn't have um, worked on his campaign. Exactly. Well, I mean, you know, Sherry Jacobus tweets a lot about that. And she tweets about how some of the Lincoln Project people tried to get jobs with the Trump administration. And when they were unable to, you know, that they became never Trumpers. Now, I don't have that information. This is coming from someone else. And she tweets about it. So. Um, you know, I tend to think that's probably, you know, at least for some of them, I know that's true. So it's, I mean, we're just navigating difficult and unique times because it's like the people who used to be our enemy are now kind of helping us out and I'm happy for their help. And I'm, it's like, but I get, and I wanted to ask you about this because I don't know how you're doing, but I mean, ever since that freaking escalator ride, it's just been nonstop. Stop and then throw in COVID. You know, you've got all of these uh, things playing out in front of us. And it's, I, you know, I'm 55 years old. I had no idea that this is what I would be dealing with. I knew we were going to be dealing with climate, but I had no idea we would be dealing with fascism and, you know, trying to overcome fascism and insurrections and coups and all of this stuff. And I'm, I, 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 I'm starting to kind of disassociate. I mean, I'm always going to pay attention and I'm always going to be political, but it's becoming so overwhelming to me. And even though it's my job and I, like I said, I I keep up with everything, there is part of me that needs to escape. And I'm wondering what, what do you do to escape this and to keep yourself sane? I read, (laughs) (laughs) I, I read and I, you know, um, so you, you know, everybody went through everything that you just described, but we were also making a movie that was very heavy. And yeah. believe me when I tell you that we cut out the worst of what we filmed, wow. because it truly seems unbelievable. For instance, people scooping water in a, places that they'd paid for, but scooping water out of the swimming pool to flush their toilet. Oh, my God. I mean, we just, and so I just can't right now, mm-hmm. I can't. I am doing the same thing. I'm intentionally, I'm doing, I'm, I probably will work on a campaign. I almost always do, but I am stepping back more mm-hmm. than I have and uh, becoming more of a policy wonk. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Instead that's being good, in the yeah. fight, I'm in, I'm in the numbers. I'm in the, how can we get this done? How can it change? And I, you know, you're not going to find me writing a bunch of tweets about maggots. You're just not because it's <laughs> it's too hard. Yeah. And the other thing is that I live in one of the towns that was completely destroyed by NAFTA, completely. Hmm. And Bill Clinton, I mean, I don't know how you feel about Bill Clinton, but he got there and lied to the people. Right. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not. What was going to happen after yeah. NAFTA? And they knew they were being lied to. That's what people understand. They were very clear what was going to happen next. And I'm telling you. Two weeks after NAFTA went through, some of the factories in my community moved to Mexico. Wow. Just two weeks. Like, it's so quick. And so I have a different view towards these guys that got caught up in the Fox and mm-hmm. stuff because maybe we put them there in front of, the, mm-hmm. in front of Fox, you know? Mm-hmm. Maybe having the guy that you campaigned for and voted for and promised you you'd be part of the um, process mm-hmm. of NAFTA, not keep any of his promises. Right. And, you know, losing your home and not being able to put your kids through college and not having a job, and there's Fox News. I mm-hmm. kind of get how it happened. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's definitely when you go and you look back. And, and, and your film does help expose it even more. Um, I think there's lots of lessons to be learned, and I'm hoping, I mean, Rachel Maddow has that podcast about, what I can't remember, Deja News. Um, right. Just how, you know, hey, wait a minute, it seems really awful right now, but we've been in similar situations in the past, and right. we've, and we've gotten past them. And but, we, but people didn't take consequences that time either. <laughs> that's true. That's true. And I think, I mean, I think now the, the one thing that no one had to deal with before in the way that we're dealing with it now is the climate. And, you know, even though it was always there and we were always doing our part to harm it, um, we weren't necessarily seeing or feeling the effects of it. But now we're, we're, we're experiencing it. And it's only going to get worse. So it's just like, it's all there. And I, I wonder, you know, I mean, I like to explore, and I'm not going to talk about it too much here, just because this is a political show, but I like to explore kind of the spiritual side of life, not religious, but, right. you know, spiritual side. And I do hear chatter of people saying that things are changing energetically. Now, I don't know if that's true. But there have been times in the past where, you know, there's a shift because you, and it's, it's always because of some extreme event or situation and it causes uh, a, a, like a grand shift. And I'm just, you know, I mean, I, again, I know you're not a psychic, but I'm wondering if you feel, because I'm hopeful about it, but I don't know that it's true. Do you feel that everything that's taking place now, all of this terror and trauma that we're all going through do you feel that it's going to lead into, you know, like the yin and the yang? It's going to go in the opposite direction from, I mean, you know, you did say that you think it's going to go down to 27% of the base, but um, do you think we're going to move into more positive times or do you see this as tumultuous for a long ass time to come? Well, first of all, you can tell how I feel by watching me in the garden if I'm tearing stuff out. <laughs> Whether I'm planting stuff, and I've been told that you can just tell by watching me in the garden <laughs> how I feel about it. But I do, I sensed, and maybe you did too, I sensed an energy shift when Trump got elected and when everybody was telling me he couldn't get elected, mm -hmm. and I knew he was going to get elected. Did mm. you? I didn't, no, no. I, I did. And in fact, nobody was brave enough to call me that night. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I was on the ground for Obama all over the South. And at that time, you could feel the energy. You right. kind of knew he was going to win like, yeah. before the Carolinas. You could just tell. Like, mm -hmm. we'd be, you know, my son and I, who was eight at the time, he'd be wearing Obama buttons and people would stop us on the street. Oh, my gosh, this is so cool to see somebody mm. in the South. Because Obama, mm. somebody has said this isn't true, but it is true. Obama had us campaign in all 50 states. <laughs> and yeah. even where he knew he couldn't win. Yeah. And, um, you could just feel the energy and you could feel the hope. And um, then when Trump, I felt the reverse energy when Trump was hmm. there. Now, part of that is because I was taking my dad in the Southwest to doctor's offices and stuff. And Fox News was playing in every room, hmm. every, you know, reception area. And my dad actually wanted to leave assisted living because Fox was 24-7 there. Wow. And this was a, um, he was in a liberal part of Texas at that time, mm -hmm. assisted living. And when, when Fox is blaring 24 seven in the liberal part of Texas, you should listen, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so I could just feel it. And people were like, oh no, the numbers say this. And I was like, I don't know, because what people forget is this many people can think the Democrats should win. And this many people can think a Republican should win, but it depends on how many of them go to the polls. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the Trump people seemed like they were much more anxious to be at the polls that yeah, year. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It didn't, I mean, I, you didn't feel that at all, that the Trump people just felt, it just felt like they had a lot more enthusiasm um, and energy. That, and... Well, you know, I mean, during that time, I was, first of all, there was the whole Bernie Hillary situation, which for me was extremely emotional because mm -hmm. I did support Bernie initially. I, you know, I eventually moved over to Hillary because she won, but I feel that I was, you know, I mean, th there was so much Russian interference that I, 
I kind of fell for some of it, not all of it, but I, I, I wouldn't say I would fall for it. But I mean, I specifically remember some questioning about Hillary Clinton and having a body double. Right. And so I looked okay. at I, I remember I was like, th- there were a few questions that I wasn't sure about. And of course, they were all saying she was going to be indicted and everything. This was probably around April of 2016. And I kept thinking, you know, I kept wondering and I didn't hate her. I, I was never a Hillary hater ever, ever, ever. Yeah. But it was like, I just, I thought, well, is, but I, but I did prefer the vision of Bernie. Um, I, I have a completely different take on it now, but at the time, this is where I was. So I was, I was kind of wrapped up in all of that. And I was, you know, I was focusing on the, I don't know, there was, there were so many people who were angry at me because I was supporting Bernie and not Hillary. But then of course I did support Hillary. And I think by the time I supported her and I was an incredibly enthusiastic support of her, especially after I watched, I believe it was an NPR special with not NPR. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, I can't think of, I can't think of the name of it, but it was PBS, PBS special about Donald Trump and Hillary. And it basically just showed us who they were. And mm-hmm. I, I had already known about a lot of her accomplishments, but I didn't know all of them. And I was completely blown away. So I, I think I was, I was, what's the, optimistic and kind of willfully ignorant about Donald Trump. And I believed when he said the pussy thing, I called Bob because Bob was out of town. And I was like, I'm like, did you hear what Trump said? And he said, no. And I said, he's toast. And I genuinely believed that that tape was going to kill him. And I was very wrong. (laughs) Yeah, well, I guess maybe it was a little different for me because what I haven't been clear about is I know Donald Trump. Oh, you do? Wow. Yeah, not in a good way. And um, <laughs> Is there a good way? <laughs> well, I mean, I guess for some people yeah. there is. But <laughs> right. for, for me, in my interactions with him, it was as a businesswoman that he didn't treat with respect and he didn't treat other you know, women that worked for me mm-hmm. with respect. And I was mostly in a gatekeeper position trying to keep him away from, like, you know, young women that Mm -hmm. were working at events that he was crashing uninvited to. And I saw over and over and over, I saw him break rules at the same time. Some of the people that I know well um, or had known well that interacted with him were in real estate, and they had, you know, he had beat them over and over and over through dishonesty. Wow. And yes. so I kind of knew that he gets away with stuff. He yeah. just gets a pass in a way that it, it's so funny because, you know, do you, do you remember, you probably watched it with your grandmother if you ever watched the movie Elmer Gantry. I did not, no. It's about a minister that's clearly a con man, but nobody gets it. <laughs> and that's how it felt to me. It hmm. just felt to me that same feeling of like, so he was coming to events uninvited, but you know, the part that people didn't realize is people were so thrilled to be there and be photographed with him. Wow. Yeah. We're a bunch of idiots. He's just, (laughs) he's a con man and he would, you know, he did it with Chelsea's wedding too, but he would say he was invited and Mm -hmm. and he'd say, they must not have told you because I got a VIP invitation, you know, and he would end up, Let's just say we always let him stay, but we just kept him away from the underage women. <laughs> That's so awful. You know, Billy Baldwin was on my show and he said, you know, everybody in New York knew Trump was full of shit and that they would, you know, there would be all of these auctions or charity events and, you know, he would crash and everyone knew that his check would bounce. <laughs> you know, and, and or you know whatever money he gave was bullshit and it was never they were never going to get it so it's interesting how the bes- behind the scenes people all knew him and, and understood who he was but then of course there is the there's the face for the nation and I, you know he is a con man and it's it's kind of dumbfounding the craziest thing about it is you have a relative who initially like at least in 2012 supported Ted Cruz and, and and then this relative hated Donald Trump. Hated. And I go to Chicks on the Right. I don't know if you're familiar with these two awful women, but um, they hated mm-hmm. Donald Trump until he became president. And then now my relative and these chicks are like, Donald Trump was the greatest president we've ever had. And I mean, I genuinely I, I, I don't believe that. that. I don't understand it. But 
I know. <laughs> but well, I don't believe that. I think part that. of it is he was, you know, the people that I was describing that I grew up with that were in such a rage. I think he was displaying the same kind of rage. Mm-hmm. But if they looked closely, they would have realized he didn't pay people like them. He didn't keep his agreements. The right. um, yeah. builders I know from New York City, they don't use his name. They call him Lychee Steel. Which means lies, cheat, and steal. Oh, and, oh my God. And they run it all together, like to talk about a name of a restaurant or something, <laughs> so they can talk about him in code. And oh you know, it's just—it didn't matter how much tr- you truth bombed people during that mm-hmm. election. It just didn't. It didn't penetrate. No, because obviously, you know what? Know that, what, about. what about okay in the film? I mean, I think it's like I can only look at the people that I know in in real life who voted for Trump and some of them were angry. I believe I mean, there's a combination of the talk radio people like Rush Limbaugh who get into your head. That's like an intimate kind of setting where it's just you and that talk show radio host and they're telling you those things and they're they're They know how to push your buttons because they're going with your grievances. And so I think, you know, it's like. The, some people in my family had certain grievances. It's not that it, it's not that, oh, oh, they just hated black people. I think they, they were already racist to begin with. But beyond the racism, there were choices that they made in their own lives that they weren't happy with. And so they were, in a general sense, not happy. So it's, of course, now this could also go to some of the people um, that were in your film because it's like, you know, some of these people raised in these red states with no money they are in these circumstances and maybe that, you know, that it's like their church is telling them everything and they don't even realize it and they don't know anybody and they're angry about something. And then here comes Donald Trump and Trump, like, you know, he, he shares that anger. He tells you, Hey, that anger is okay. And it's okay to hate these people because it's their fault. It's all the fault of the liberals. And, and then they just start hating liberals. And it, it seems like, so almost like, like, no, that's couldn't happen. But I think that's what happened. I think there are oh, a lot of angry people. I, I always compare it to, remember the high school lunch table? Yes. <laughs> I always compare it to the little high school lunch table. whole bunch of people that felt, you know, and I met a lot of them. We got chased down the street campaigning for Obama in Mississippi. Yeah. And I, I met a whole lot of people that had a whole lot of racism or a whole lot of anger. And just like you said, were really unhappy with their lives. And now they were invited to a billionaire's lunch table. Mm-hmm. Wow, and this yeah. guy is not the things that these people have been, people have been told you shouldn't say in public. They're told mm-hmm. say it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, say, do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. So they, and that's they, what happened. They found their tribe. Yes. <laughs> and um, that makes me incredibly sad that people were in that situation. You know, it makes me very sad that people were so disenfranchised and so angry and felt so cheated. And, mm-hmm. you know, let's not forget the corporations gave us the welfare mom. Mm-hmm. And, and that's man, a lot of the anger is manufactured. Yes. You know, one of my favorite things to do when I'm talking to people is when they say somebody, you know, some group took all their jobs. I said, really? I'd really like to film that. Would you tell me, like, <laughs> do you know, have a friend that you can give me their number that that happens to? And they never know anybody it happened to, ever. Wow. <laughs> you I know believe what? it because oh. it's packaged. And, you know, uh-huh. so before we got on the phone, I thought we were going to talk more about the single mother. And I'm fine that we didn't. And the movie's a marathon, no, by the way. You know what? <laughs> directed by Jean Clavier. Sometimes <laughs> forget to say the name. And um, so I looked up the word single mother. I want to tell you the things that showed up. In the, you know when you put something into the search line and then all these things come up? Yes. So it says... So I put in the word single mother. These these are the things that came up. The demonization of the single mother. Um, welfare queen. Anyone else hate single mothers? Wow. I, I have no sympathy for a single mom unless she was raped or widowed. Oh, my God. Why you shouldn't date a single mom. I'm sick of feeling sorry for single moms. Wow. Those are the things that came up, not childcare costs, not the issues of single moms. That That's manufactured. We didn't used to feel that way about single mothers. And Yeah, there was a switch. What year was the switch? I now, now, I didn't write it down, so this is my fault and my bad, and I'm sorry. But um, what 
what was the thing that switched the perception? Because like you said, it, it didn't used to be that way. And then it, and then it became that way. And I know the movie had that. Reagan. That's okay. It was Reagan. He started telling you that, you know, and there are always okay. There have always been cases of welfare fraud, but you know, he's found a case and he decided mm-hmm. to tell everybody that this case of welfare fraud was huge and, you know, got an image and the image had some plenty of racism attached. And in mm-hmm. fact, I never in front, you know, with some people don't want to ever mention it again. Cause it's such a horrible memory for them, you know, mm-hmm. You know, they felt some yeah. people of a certain age felt like they were thrown in with that right. know, welfare mother. And, and, you know, the whole idea of welfare queens, I mean, I know, I know liberal people who use that term and believed it. And I mean, well, you know, it, the, it's true that you, baby, you're talking about one or two people, right? You're not talking about, it wasn't widespread. Yeah. Know? And if you wanted to go take care of that, you could have gone straight to Utah the Mormon community because that's where almost all that was happening and they weren't right. African-American either. Yeah, right. <laughs> you, know, you had families, you had huge families with several wives that were right. all getting welfare and it was orchestrated. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this is why we need more school. We can all come up with an example of one person who had a terrible reaction mm-hmm. to right. one of the vaccines. Yeah. We all know somebody that took money when they had no business taking it during the pandemic. We all know one person, but anecdotal evidence isn't really evidence. Right. No, it isn't. It isn't. And And that's a good point. I always wonder, did we really mess up in school on that? And I'm very Mm -hmm. curious, you know, right now what's going to happen, like, I think there seems to be a dumbing down of school and I, you mm-hmm. know, and I'm concerned for two reasons. I think I can't tell you how many people I've had explain that there's three branches of government too in the last few years. And I knew that in middle school, I remember where mm-hmm. I learned it and when I learned it. And the other thing I'm very worried that, you know, these moms of Liberty and stuff mm-hmm. are going to produce kids that will not get into college. Yeah, absolutely. And, and they won't just, and even the brightest won't get into college because most people are going to be looking at applications from different parts of the country. Mm-hmm. They're looking for kids that are going to succeed. And I think they're just not going to be taking the nod for Texas or Florida or Arkansas. And that makes me so sad. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, it's been going on for a long time that, you know, the GOP de- degrading, not only talking about education as if it's a bad thing. Um, and college education specifically. But, I mean, we've been seeing for decades they've been defunding education, and the, the money never goes back. And I talk about this a lot because I went, you know, I was raised in Maryland up until I was nine years old, and then I moved to Southern California. And I didn't, you know, in, in that time in Southern California, I had a year and a half where I left, and I spent six months back in Maryland going to school, and then I went to Russia, and I went to Anglo-American school because my dad was over there for ABC News. And my education outside of the, at least California public school system, um, it was such an eye-opener because it was far superior. I mean, I was literally learning in sixth grade. This is when I, I was, I went uh, half of the year in California and, and the rest of the year in Maryland. Um, in California, I was, I was just learning simple addition. And, you know, 24 plus 55. And then I moved to Maryland again and they were doing reciprocals and I had never even heard of the word. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, and obviously everywhere is going to be different. Each, you know, district is going to be different, but the, they don't teach civics anymore. I don't even think I ever learned civics. I did have government classes, but I don't remember learning. Um, I don't, yeah, there's, I, se- there's yeah. 17 states that don't teach civics. Yeah. And then, I mean, I, I don't remember learning about suffragettes and I know if I, I, maybe there was a paragraph or something, you know, but that really didn't catch my attention because if it would have been presented to me that Alice Paul, you know, wrote the 19th Amendment for women to vote and she wrote the um, ERA and all of that, I would have been all over that in, in, mm-hmm. in high school, but it, it totally slipped my attention. Okay. Granted, I was definitely more into 
the things I shouldn't have been into, friends and parties and boys. <laughs> no, well. but you would have been into that. I know you well enough to know that you would have been into no, that. I would have. <laughs> you, you, women's issues are kind of your jam, yes. so I know that you'd be interested. <laughs> I don't think I learned about that either. I was, so this will explain my sadness about Oklahoma. I don't know if you know how, and like, I know we're running way over, but Oklahoma <laughs> was formed by the land run. Do you know that? No, I didn't. Okay, so Oklahoma was a land grab, grab. You like people, like a race. They said, right. ready, set, go, and people would take their wagons, and they go, and they sit on a plot of land, and it became theirs. Hmm. That's how the state existed in 1907. And when I was in school, you know, so those are the poorest people, right? Yeah. When I was in school, Oklahoma had decided to change their image, and they were pushing education like you can't believe. I had... I'm very clear now that I had a much better education than a lot of my counterparts wow. nationwide. Yeah. Interesting. And now, if you see what's happening with Oklahoma, it's almost like they just said, let's just let our people be dumb. It's That's so sad. You know, the textbooks, some of the textbooks are using textbooks that they used when I was in school, the same textbook, not right. the same updated version. Yeah. And um, the schools are falling apart. They look like they've been abandoned and, you know, religion has infiltrated on a really big level. Mm. And so when I was growing up in Oklahoma, and the reason I have so much heartache about all this is I grew up in a state that was good fences make good neighbors. It was a very pioneer um, spirit Uh state. Everybody had hope and, um, then these big churches, and I, you know, if my friend, who's Oral Roberts' grandson, is watching, no wow. offense, but Oral <laughs> Roberts rolled in, and um, it changed everything. Yeah. It changed everything. Jeez. I mean, my dad's, you know, until the day he died, he talked about the church wars. Right. So. Yeah. Oh my God, the all the wars because of God and religion. Yes, <laughs> all the God wars. <laughs> all the God wars. I just, I want to make sure that. I think everyone needs to watch your film and thank you. I I mean like I said it's it's something that is it's necessary. It's not always easy to watch it because you're you're seeing families who are struggling and they're being honest about it, but it's extremely important and it's going to I believe especially as we head into 2024 knowledge is power and the more knowledge you have and the more understanding of people's lives that you know maybe you don't get to see on a daily basis because you are a little more fortunate and a little bit more privileged. Um, I think it helps us, uh, you know, we need to do everything we can in this uh, upcoming election to save democracy. And so I, I genuinely believe watching Americond is one way to do that because it's going to give you education. It'll give you inspiration and hopefully motivation. So where can people find this film? It's available for purchase through all the usual outlets, and, and you'll be amused to know one of them is Amazon Prime. Yes, that's, how, that's where I got it. <laughs> <laughs> Since, you know, our friend is, you know, the guy that organized labor there. Yes. <laughs> but it's on Prime. It's available through Netflix. It's free. Zulu, um, Apple. We get a lot of hits from Apple. Interesting. And it's actually available on DVD through, all, through Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. The irony. Um, beautiful irony. <laughs> the beautiful irony. But yeah, I, I, like I said, I highly recommend it. And I, I hope that people watch it because it's, it's very important. And thank you for making it. And of course, before thank I let you, you go, um, I just, I, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm just blabbing away. I just have so much energy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where it's coming from. But tell everybody where to find you. And outside, like there's X and then if you're anywhere else. I'm on the app formerly known as Twitter. <laughs> I'm Jillian says now because they won't like change my name. I'm one of the people that unfortunately got verified right before. Oh um, right, yeah. the most takeover, and so I can't even get rid of my check mark. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm I'm Jillian M Hurley on everything else, and I'm still just learning everything else. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, for me, <laughs> everything important on social media happens in the DMs. <laughs> I'm for the best DM app. Are you on Threads? <laughs> Kinda. <laughs> <laughs> well, I started I started using threads a little bit more because I think Elon is gonna start charging a dollar or something and fuck him, I'm never giving him my money. Never, so um never. <laughs> so follow Jillian and then I'm on, you know, on X uh, or the Twitter, whatever you want to call it. 
Uh, I'm author Kimberly, and then I always have on my pin tweet or all the other places that I am. I'm I'm everywhere. I don't post everywhere all the time, but I am becoming more <laughs> active on Threads. So there you go. Uh, before okay. I let you go, is there anything you want to add or anything you think we have to be hopeful about or anything like that? I really don't have much to add. You know, I do think the benefit of watching Americana, though, is that you have a real understanding because it's not just the people that we follow. Right. We were very careful to have experts mm -hmm. that really could explain right. it to you. And I do think it's a good tool for people to sit down, you know, um, we get a lot of feedback for people who sat down with their children and watched yeah. the film and they didn't really tell much their kids didn't know about wow. how much things have changed. So, yeah. you know, appreciate if people watch it, appreciate if you leave a review because, mm -hmm. you know, you can imagine on Prime, we get all these like mm -hmm. out of the country. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the, movie, the movie's not showing out of the country. And just, <laughs> I really thank you for having me on. It was, um, it's fun because I've known you for a while, but I not know. knowing you, so this is great. I know. Well, I always it's it's always fun having people on because I feel like it establishes, like it concretes the friendship or whatever that you, uh, you know, form outside of, or at least on social media, I should say. So, yes, thank you very much. Big hug. Thank you for being on the show. Everybody, go. And I'm I'm not kidding. Go watch Americon this weekend. I promise you, it's a, it's it's really well done. It's lots of good information. Jillian, thank you again for making it and being on the show. Thank you. Bye-bye.